Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 16? Matthew chapter 16 is our text of Scripture this morning, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 20. Matthew chapter 16. So we do begin a uh, new series. It's called Body Life, Understanding Christ Church. Um, we'll be going for several months here, uh, talking about the church and in a number of different ways, the leadership of the church, uh, the laity of the church, what your role is. We'll be talking about uh, orthodoxy and how uh, right doctrine of the church. We'll be talking about practice, how we live this church. Uh, We'll talk about worship, we'll talk about fellowship, we'll talk about evangelism. So there are some incredible topics that are going to be coming up over the next several weeks and months as we look at this. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, this is the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus came into this district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Would you pray with me? So, Father, as we um, open your word today, we've already sung your word earlier. We've heard prayers offered for your word to be preached. We've heard prayers for our communion here, our community here. And now, Father, as we go to your word, we we pray that you, through your Holy Spirit, would speak to us. Show us Christ, Lord. Show us our identity. Show us our purpose. Show us our reason for being here. Show us that the sufficiency of our lives is found in only one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. His person, his work, what he has done for us, and what he continues to do interceding for us even today. Father, amazingly, your son is right now interceding for us as we come to your word today. So I pray that you would do your work today in our lives. Help us to know who we are. Help us to know why we're here. Help us to bring glory and honor to your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, it's interesting, Um, one of the uh, things that I do as a counselor is I will ask a lot of questions of people. And so uh, I have, if if anybody's ever been in counsel with me, I have seven essential questions that I have. I I ask people, who are you? I want to know about your identity, what you believe is your identity. Um, 
I want to know, why are we here? I want you to ask that question. Why are you here? Not just here in this building today. I want you to figure out why you are here on this earth. What's your purpose? Uh, I ask, what is your problem? You know, most people think their problem is outside of them rather than recognizing their greatest problem is within them. I, I want people to ask the question, where am I going? That's the big question. It's like eternity awaits us. There's heaven or hell that is in front of us. I need you to figure out what is your destiny, where you're going. Another question I ask is, what is truth? I want you to understand where you find where real truth is, not from the world, but from God's word. What is morality? What is the right thing to do? What would God require of you to do? But the ultimate question I ask people is this. Is Christ enough for you? Is Christ your sufficiency in life? And it's interesting that... um, you know, as pastors, counselors, we do this a lot. We ask a lot of questions. And, and the reason why we ask questions is we want to elicit information from people. We want to understand them. We want to persuade them. We want to um, encourage them, inspire them. We want to stimulate them as we are asking these questions. Oftentimes when you ask questions of people, you, you deepen intimacy and connection with one another. But asking questions also exposes the heart. It exposes deep down what is, what is driving us and what is causing the things that happen in our lives. Uh, one of Jesus' favorite modes of conversation was asking questions. Uh, I didn't count them up, but I, I found somebody that counted up and said that Jesus asked 307 questions in the Gospels. It's amazing. 183 questions were asked of him in the Gospels. He really only answered three. So Jesus is constantly asking questions of people. People are constantly asking questions of him, but Jesus settled on answering three or a handful in all of the Gospels. Why? I I think, honestly, that questions expose our presuppositions our beliefs, our deep-down convictions. I believe that those questions, as you start to expose your life, they start to expose what you believe and how you live because your presuppositions influence your practices. Your beliefs influence your behaviors. That's why God says that our hearts are so deceptive and desperately sick. Who can know it? Only God can know the heart and know what is going on deeply within us because it's from that heart that pours out of our lives. So, so it's interesting that as Jesus comes to this place here, he, he's asking them a series of questions. And you see, he, he took his disciples here, and they had just heard from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they're demanding signs of Jesus. And Jesus is warning them, I'm warning you about the world that is out there, even the religious world that is out there that is godless. I'm warning you about that. Be careful with the leaven of the Pharisees. And then Jesus pulls his disciples aside, which is interesting to me. He took them to Caesarea Philippi, about 25 miles north, in in Gentile territory. He took his disciples to this Gentile territory, and he says, who do people say that I am? It's just, it's a general question. And this, this general question that he is asking of the large group, then he's going to get very specific, and he's going to say, Who do you say 
that I am. This morning, I want to um, try to hit four points this morning. Uh, First is the church's confession. I, I believe that to understand what the true church is, we need to understand the confession that this true church holds. So the church's confession. The second I want to focus on is the church's foundation. Where do we found our church on? What, what is the place where we rock solid build our church on? The third thing I want to look at is the church's security. Where is our ultimate security found? It's not found in the world. It's found in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I want to talk about the church's authority. What is our church called to do under the power of God in our lives? The church's confession, the church's foundation, the church's security, and then finally the church's authority. Well, let's look at the church's confession. Jesus asked this question, who do people say that I am? It's a good question. Um, It's a question that all of us have to wrestle with in this congregation this morning. It's a question that everybody uh, in this world has to wrestle with. Who do you say that Jesus is? Uh, Jesus um, asked the question and then he got some answers. And some of the answers he received from his disciples were this, that, you know, Jesus, some people think that you are Elijah, Elijah was viewed to be coming back as a prophet. He was one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. And some believe that he is Elijah, come back. Some believe that he is John the Baptist. And if you remember, if you're familiar with the Gospels, prior, after John the Baptist's head was removed uh, by Herod, Herod actually was fearful that John the Baptist had come back. So, so there was a thought that John the Baptist had come back in the Lord Jesus Christ. So some thought it was John the Baptist, some said Elijah, even others said Jeremiah. Jeremiah was one of the greatest of the later prophets. And those are all wonderful, nice things. I mean, I guess it would be nice for a president to hear that you're the Abraham Lincoln of the presidency, you know. It's like, I mean, that would be nice, the Ronald Reagan or whoever it is of the presidency. That would be nice to hear, but but Jesus is saying this. Jesus is not saying that, I don't want any of this flattery. I want to know deep down, who do you say that I am? It's a crucial question today. I wonder how would you answer that question? You know, um, C.S. Lewis has this quote, and he, uh, in his book, Mere Christianity, he said this, and it's a little long, so stay with me. I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but they don't accept his claims to be God. That's one thing to say, but it's different here. A man who merely sees him as a man and says these sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg. Or else he would be the devil in hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut up a fool, you can spit at him in his face, you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let no one come to him with the patronizing nonsense about him being a great moral teacher. He's not left us open to that. 
he did not intend to. See, if, if you read the Gospels, Jesus claimed things that either he knew he was telling a lie, and he's a liar, or he thought he was telling the truth, but it wasn't. He's a lunatic. He's nuts. Or Jesus Christ is Lord. And so, so Jesus is asking his disciples, as he, as he brings them to this crucial question, who do you say that I am? And Peter, stepping up as the leader of this group, said these incredible words. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In essence, he is saying, you are the Christ, the son of God, the living one of God. He is nailing down the gospel in that one little phrase, the, the church's confession, that Jesus Christ, Jesus is his, his, just his natural name. Uh, it comes from the uh, term uh, Joshua. It means that God saves. But, but his title and who he is is the Christ, the Messiah. And not only is he the Messiah, he's the son of the living God. He's the son of God. And not only is he Jesus who leads leads to salvation, not only is he the Christ, the Messiah, not only is he the living one, he's the son of the living God. That's who he is. There are a lot of places as you drive through town today, As you drive all over the place, you will see churches all over the place, but there are no true churches unless this confession is there. They can call themselves a church, but unless they have the confession that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the living one, they don't have a church. It doesn't matter if they have church in their title. They do not have church in their foundation. So Jesus said... Wow, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessed. For those of us that have been in our psalm series, one of the very first psalms that we hit was Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law, he meditates day and night. But he started with that word blessed. You remember the Sermon on the Mount started with this idea of blessed. Blessed is is deeper than happiness. It is a contentment. It is a lifestyle. It is your foundation. And he is saying that, Peter, you are blessed. Blessed by God. And, And then what he says to Peter is this. Not only have you been blessed by God, and how have you been blessed by God, Peter? You've been blessed by God by seeing something that the world does not see. Hearing something is one thing. To believe it deeply, to see it with your eyes. Paul said in 2 Corinthians that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the person of Christ. There are people today that know the name of Christ. People today that will say that he died on a cross, but they do not see Christ as their Lord and Savior because they're blind. And what Peter got the privilege of, the blessing was, that God opened his eyes. This didn't come from Peter's own ability. This did not come from Peter's 
intellectual things. It wasn't like he went to school and got a bunch of degrees to learn this. Peter was given insight by God to tell the truth about Jesus. Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So I need you to hear this, that step number one to understand what the church is, is this. We need to understand the confession. A true church has to be founded on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. Second, the church's foundation. Found in verse 17, uh, verse 18. It says, Peter, not only have you received this from my Father who is in heaven, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The church's foundation. So, there has been a lot of debate over this one phrase, and I'm not going to be able to work through all of it. I can tell you that uh, for some of us who came out of a Roman Catholic background, um, they will believe that this passage is talking about the papacy and that Peter has now become the, the papal authority and that there's been a consecutive line of succession from Peter all the way to the Pope that now uh, sits um, above the Roman Catholic Church. And they would say that, as Jesus said here, upon this rock, that Peter, his name Peter, which means stone, they're saying, or it could be translated rock, some would say, the Roman Catholic Church would teach, that this rock that Jesus is talking about is that, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. I I would respectfully disagree. Um, I think... I think that it's pretty clear that as you read the rest of Scripture, if you want to talk about infallibility, just in several verses um, from now, Peter is now going to try to stop Christ from going to the cross. He can't even get out of the chapter without failing. Um, Peter is not going to get out of the final crucifixion without failing because he's going to deny the Lord Jesus Christ three times. Peter, and we just went through the um, book of Galatians, Peter needed to be confronted by the Apostle Paul because of his failures. This is not to shame Peter. It is to magnify that Peter is a sinful human being. He is not infallible. In fact, if you read in Matthew 18, the disciples are fighting over who should be first. If they had already assumed that Peter was the ultimate authority, they would never have had this fight. As, as Pastor Doug is working through the book of Acts, we see Peter beginning very strongly in the book of Acts, but by the middle part of Acts, he's faded away, and it's Paul. Even at the Jerusalem Council, it wasn't Peter's final vote at the Jerusalem Council. It seemed to be James's. There's so many places where it seems to show that Peter is not the ultimate authority, but he is an authority here among these 12. And he, so it can't be, from all of that, That Peter is the papal authority here. So what is Jesus talking about? That upon this rock, I will build my church. Some would say that, well, Peter became the leader of the church. And that Jesus is saying that, you know, Peter, you're the leader of this church. And therefore, now I'm going to call you. Now, you're not the papal authority, but you're a leader, a smaller leader. I don't believe that goes far enough. If you look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20... God says that he is building his church on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. 
I believe that what Jesus is ultimately saying here is that I am not building my church, not even on human prophets and apostles, but on what they spoke and what I have given them by my Holy Spirit, which is the word. See, the church's foundation goes back to the church's confession. It has to be about Christ, number one. And then number two, it needs to be founded on the word of God. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. One of the saddest things as a pastor today is to see how many churches I can turn on TV today, and this is not to pick on other places. I turn on TV today, and I don't hear the Bible. I do not hear people talking about sin. One of the biggest churches in America, they don't ever talk about sin. They make it a purpose not to. The greatest problem that humanity has is sin and separation from God, and we don't talk about it. And we do not go to this gospel message. So I believe that what Jesus is saying here is that upon this rock, the confession that you've made, Peter, and the representation of the apostles, that it's upon that, the Bible, Old and New Testament, that I'm going to be building my church. I love this phrase. If you just take this phrase, I will build my church. Who's the I in there? Who is I in there? Well, the Lord Jesus, of course. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, fully God and fully man. He, he, Jesus Christ left heaven at the definitive plan of the Father to come here. He had always existed. He took on a human body 2,000 years ago. He lived obedient and sacrificial for you and for me. Every step along the way, he is living his life so that because we could not live that way. And that he was born of a virgin. He was incarnate. He was given the Holy Spirit. And he lived a life by this Holy Spirit. He, he walked on earth. He lived perfectly and righteously for every single one that ever trusted in him. And then when he went to the cross, he went there. They talk about in, in theology, they talk about Active obedience and passive obedience. Active obedience is he lived righteous for you every single day. And then passive obedience on the cross, he died for humanity's sins. And that's not enough. God the Father says his body goes to the grave. But he is going to be resurrected. And the resurrection is the foundation of our lives. We do not have a church today. We do not have a salvation if Christ didn't live perfectly. We do not have a salvation if Christ did not die for our sins. And we do not have a salvation if he is still in the grave. Up from the grave, what did he do? He arose. And that's what he did for you and for me. So the church's great foundation is the gospel. The gospel founded in the person and work of Christ. So we have the church's great confession, the church's great foundation. Now the third thing, the church's security. He says at the end of verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. So what is Jesus telling us? He's telling us that there is going to be hostility and opposition. Pastor Tim was just praying for our country. Um, We desperately need it. 
there is a warfare that is going on today for anything that is of God. God is being removed from our country. God is being removed from um, belief. People will sing God bless America, but they have lowered God to the God of their own choosing and the God of their own making. Hell is attacking us. Hell is attacking marriages. Hell is attacking relationships. Hell is attacking people. And hell is attacking churches. And so he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail. So what is he talking about here? The word hell here actually is not the eternal damnation that we think about. Hell is about Hades, the land of the dead. And so, in essence, what he is saying is this. And the gates, I should tell you, gates are a place outside the city to protect a city, but it was also a place where you would sit outside the city for counsel. And I think what he's saying is this, that all of the world and all of the evil principalities that Paul had talked about in Ephesians 6 are coming together to attack churches, attack the gospel, attack the truth, to hinder people so that the good news of the gospel will not go out into the world. They have counseled together and they are a land of the dead when Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. So there's great hostility. Some of you have faced it. I, I got a text from one of our members uh, this, uh, this week about a struggle that they're having in their work and uh, a struggle that they're having with a coworker who is acting in ungodly ways and attacking this person and our member is concerned. You, if you are living the gospel message, are going to be attacked You are going to be under hostility. That's why Paul says you need to be putting on the full armor of God. And as God says, he talks about your salvation, your faith. But the one thing he says that you need to be having in your hands is the word of God. That's the one offensive weapon that you have. And so I need you to know that there is going to be attacks. You are going to suffer in this world. In fact, I think in many ways I have had greater suffering after Christ than I ever had before Christ. Maybe you have found it yourself that as you are now in Christ, you find yourself under greater emotional struggles, greater relational struggles, greater financial struggles in your life because the world and the devil are coming at you. Not because they hate you primarily, but because they hate Christ. But you know the thing that gives me great hope here, this this great security... Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Prevail means it's a military term. What he's saying is this, you are indestructible. Nothing will ever destroy his church. We will die, yes, every single one of us will. But there will be a new pastor in this pulpit. There will be a new person in life. The church will continue to go on and on and on. You know, I'm not that old, but if you look at the map from when I was a kid of the world and the tyrants and the countries that were there that seemed so strong and they're gone, they will all fade away. This church will never fade away. I'm not talking about the chapel at Warren Valley. I'm talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You are indestructible. You are invincible if you are in the person of Christ. Because Christ will not fail. Yes, they may take my body, but I get eternity in heaven. So why do we live in fear? Why do we live in doubt? Because we've missed the confession. We've missed the foundation and we've missed the security. You are so secure. Not one hair will fall from your head that God is not sovereignly ordained in your life. God has a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. A plan to give you hope and a future. What an amazing truth that is. The church's foundation, the confession, the church's security leads to the church's authority. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Okay, what is he talking about here? So we have gates, kind of like doors. Doors open in and they provide a level of protection and there's a place of entrance and exit. It shuts people in, but it also allows people in. It shuts people out, I should say, or it allows people in. That's what doors do. And a key opens the door. And what what I believe Jesus is saying here is this, that the great privilege that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has is that you've been given a confession given to you by God because God loves you so infinitely. He has opened your eyes to see his confession. He has given you the foundation, his very word. He has given you security. You are invincible in Christ. And now he's given you authority. Speak my truth. Live my truth. Proclaim the gospel. Demonstrate the gospel in and through your life, in your marriages, in your homes, in this church, in the community, so that God can be revealed. So you remember the questions I asked my clients? Why are we here? The greatest reason why we're here is to, as the Westminster Catechism says, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The only reason I am here is to reflect God out to a lost and a dying world, and the privilege that we have the keys. It talks about in Matthew that these keys were not given to Peter alone. In Matthew 18, it talks about the fact that these keys were given, and it was connected to church discipline. A little bit later on, it's going to talk about these keys were given to the apostles. I believe that these keys have been given to us as well. As the three of us get an opportunity to get into the pulpit and preach. But even more than that, for for my Sunday school teachers that are here, when you get an opportunity to meet in Sunday school with with your members and you get the opportunity to open God's word to them, you've got the keys. For, for my men who are running their men's groups and you get the opportunity to be able to talk to these men about the good news, you have the keys. For the women's ministries that is here, you have the keys. For the young people's ministry that is here, you have the keys. The keys to open eternal life for people. But I had a question in my Sunday school class this morning. They were, they were asking, you know, how do you deal with people who are just so hardened to the truth? I don't deal with them. I can't. What I'm called to do is to proclaim the gospel and demonstrate the gospel. It is God who does the revealing. It is God who opens their eyes. 
So I have to proclaim it. I have to demonstrate it. I have to live it. And God opens their eyes to see. His Holy Spirit comes and opens the eyes of the blind. He gives a new heart in Ezekiel. It says, I will give you a new heart. A new spirit I will put within you. I will cause you to walk in my ways. It is God who works in you. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is Christ who lives in you and through you. And so the beautiful privilege that we have is sometimes... I was telling uh, my class this morning, I work with a lot of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, they're struggling, and they just need to work on maturing and growing in their faith. But I do get some non-believers in my office, and, and I had a huge privilege of having a person walk in my office this, mor- this week, and they walked in my office, and you could see hardened, deadened, angry. It's like, I don't even know why I'm here. Your office is in a church building. I mean, it's like, you know, it was that kind of, ugh. And it's like, oh, here we go. And God opened his eyes. (laughs) I can't tell you why. God opened his eyes through our conversation. I asked him some of those exposing questions, and God opened his eyes. The man walked in dead, and he walked out alive. What? I hope that is a hand clap to God because it is. And so the church at the chapel at Warren Valley, I need you to hear this. Do you know your confession? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Is that your confession today? Second, the chapel at Warren Valley, I need to ask you this. How well are you learning the foundation of your faith? Tonight, I have my Psalms study. We've had a pretty good group, but I'm looking around a lot of people. A lot of you should probably be there tonight. I'm sure that as I look at Pastor Doug in my Sunday school class, good number. The class should be brimming with people looking to hear of the foundation of the faith. For our young people's ministry and our men's ministry, are you, are you just so eager or is it just one hour on Sunday morning that you're doing? You cannot grow in the faith if you are not learning the foundation of the faith. So put yourself in places. I'm not looking to shame you. I'm looking to encourage you. Are you putting yourself in a place where you can hear the good news of the gospel to hear the confession, to hear the foundation, to hear of the security that you have in Christ and then understand the authority that God gives you because what God gave me the opportunity to see this week can happen in your life as well. And can you imagine if this church went out in the power of the Holy Spirit taking the truth of the gospel to people in our homes, people in our communities, We could explode this world. So, Father, I pray today that you would remind us what the church is. Church is not a building, Lord. The church is is not an organization. It's not even a denomination. 
The church is a bunch of people that you have called out for yourself. Father, in the Old Testament, uh, we see the church was an assembly of believers. The church in the New Testament got its um, movement even more so in seeing us being connected to the person of Christ. Peter made a lot of mistakes in his life. But there were sometimes he just nailed it right. And Father, I thank you for not only you revealed it to him, but he had the, the intestinal fortitude, if you want to call it, whatever it is, the conviction to say it. Father, the sad reality is, is as, I, as I think about myself and many people in this congregation, we have been given the same revelation that Peter was given. But because of fear, because of doubt, because of insecurities, we, we hold on to the gospel. Paul said, help us not to be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. So, Father, I pray that you would um, help us to know the confession well. Help us to put ourselves in places where we can hear the foundation of your message, whether it's men's studies or women's studies or, or Sunday school or Sunday evening messages. Father, I pray that you'd help us to put ourselves in a place to hear that. Father, help us not to run away in fear, but help us to know the security that we have. We are indestructible because your son is indestructible. Yes, they may take my body, but they can never take my soul. So, Father, help us to go out in that power. And then help us to go out not in human authority, not in my words, Lord, but in your words. Father, if there's anyone here who has never turned their lives over to Christ, may have heard of him as a good teacher, but now today think he's not just a good teacher. He's, he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. And maybe today, Father, you've opened their eyes to see that he is Lord. I pray today that they would um, come to talk to one of us. Father, for some here that are here struggling today that do know Christ, but are struggling with living like him, demonstrating him, maybe they'll come and uh, talk to one of us. Help us to pray for them. And Father, do your work for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.